On today's episode, we are delighted to be joined by former Leeds United and Preston North End manager Simon Grayson. We hope you enjoy and thank you again for listening. All right, guys, um, brilliant to get on to our third podcast. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, it's exciting today. We've got another guest, just like last week. I uh, just want to introduce Simon Grayson. How are you? How are you doing? Oh, all good, Joe. All good, thank you. Hopefully you are. Yep. Yeah, everything's good over here. How's uh, isolation treating you in these tough times? Yeah, it's not easy for everybody. Just trying to uh, keep some sort of structure in my life in terms of out on my bike, a bit of exercise, walks, um, doing things around the house, doing jobs that I never thought existed around the house, to be fair. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and, yeah, and then a bit of, well, it's been real nice weather, so you can sort of chill out a little bit as well. So, yeah, it's... Uh, Keeping me busy, podcast as well, just trying to keep yourself as uh, much entertainment as possible, isn't it? Yeah. Well, obviously, I think the best place to start with you is uh, the start. Um, you started as a Leeds player. Uh, what was it like to step out for the team, which you grew up loving, and how did it feel to be given your debut by the Leeds, Leeds legend, Billy Bremner? Yeah, it was um, it was a dream every every lad wants to do. Um, when you're growing up as a teenager, you, you've got ambitions to be a footballer. I signed for Leeds when I was 14, apprentice at 16, played in the youth in, in the youth team on the Saturday morning. Then on the uh, Tuesday night, I got told that I was making my debut at 17 years old at Huddersfield. Um, so it was a great experience. Um, family were very proud to be there. It wasn't a classic, it was a nil-nil. Um, I got cramp <laughs> after about 70 minutes and came <laughs> off. Uh, but it, yeah, look, some people can never take your debut away from you. You know what I mean. Um, and to do it for the team that you supported growing up was a was a massive thing. I'm very proud of. Yeah, even though you played you, you played two games for Leeds uh, and you weren't getting the game time needed, how hard was it to you know take take the decision to leave or accept that you had to leave to get that game time you, you needed? Yeah, it wasn't easy. I was always training with the first team, uh, playing in the reserves, um, travelling with the, the squad. There was only two subs in, in them days, so it wasn't like today where you got seven subs. So it was, it was difficult, but you just kept on working hard, waiting for an opportunity or eventually playing well enough to maybe get a move. And, and the opportunity came to move to Leicester, um, who were in a division below at the time. Um, but it was I was twenty two and I needed to start playing first team football. I needed to start my career on get it on track and um, took a, a decision that a, a professional decision. I remember having a tear in my eye when I left Leeds to go to Leicester, but it was the thing that I had to do. And straight mm-hmm. away I left on a Wednesday. I'd been subbed for the first team down at QPR with another uh, Leeds legend, but a bigger legend at Manchester United, a bloke called Derek Cantona was subbed with me. Um, and then the next day. <laughs> Next day, I went to Leicester and um, made my debut for Leicester on the Saturday at Ipswich. And notably, 12 games later, or something like that, was playing in the playoff semi final and the playoff final at Wembley in front of 60,000, 70,000. And that's all I wanted to do play first team football and, and got that opportunity to go to Leicester with. Yeah, you obviously <coughs> touched on that you moved to Leicester. Uh, you experienced success with the League Cup in '97. Uh, how did it feel to win in such a iconic stadium and make make the walk up the steps at Wembley? Well, it was it was a, a remarkable period of time to be fair because I mentioned there we played in my first season um, I get lost to Blackburn the second season in the playoffs lost to Swindon I didn't actually play in that one um, the third one 
we, these were all champion, the equivalent of the championship playoff finals. Yeah. The third one, um, we beat Derby, and I was the captain at the time, and I was the first Leicester captain to lift the trophy at Wembley, and it was a fantastic feeling to to walk up the steps, proud family, um, <clears throat> to lift a trophy in front of thirty, forty thousand was at the iconic old Wembley was an unbelievable proud moment, and um, and at that period of time at Leicester, we Wembley was like our second home. We got promoted, as I said, against Derby. Got relegated the following year. The following year after that, we went back up into the playoffs and beat Crystal Palace. So we got promoted again at Wembley. And then, uh, as you said, the, the fifth season, we were in the Premier League and finished ninth. And then we played Middlesbrough in um, in the League Cup final. And they had a, they had a real good team of Janino, Ravinelli, Emerson. There were some great players back in, in the 90s. Um, and we, we drew with them at Wembley and we took them to a replay at Hillsborough, as they did back then, took you to a different ground. And uh, it was a tough game, but we, we ultimately came out on top. Um, I think Emil Lesky might have scored, I think, or Steve Claridge. Um, so, yeah, great feeling. I was just a, It was a different scenario lifting a trophy at Wembley to compared to Hillsborough, but still the delight mm. of lifting a major honour. was uh, with. A, I was a vice-captain at the time then, um, but still lifted the trophy with Steve Walsh. It was a fantastic feeling again. Yeah, and obviously you, you played... <laughs> at the highest level in England well be in the Premier League who was the in your opinion the best player you played against and like you know your toughest opponent that you thought you saw him on the team sheet beforehand and you thought I'm in for a tough game today well it's, it's very difficult to give an answer to that because people ask you a lot all the time and, and yeah. when you're playing in, in the Premier League it was players week in and week out You, I would play midfield some weeks and I'd be playing against Petit Vieira Roy Keane be playing right back, and I'd be playing against Stovermars. I'd be playing against uh, Ryan Giggs, Lee Sharp, and Steve McManaman. And then you go and play centre back, and you play against Shearer, Sutton, and other class strikers. But I think probably the, one of the toughest games that I had was when we were at Leicester. We played Man United in the cup, the League Cup, and we might have been actually in the division below at the time, and not in the Premier League. And I always remember playing against Lee Sharp, and we were four nil down, and his number went up, and I thought, oh, thank God for that, he's going off. And then I looked across to see who was coming on and Ryan Giggs was coming on. I thought, oh, God, I've got another, I've got another 20-odd minutes of torture coming up here. So um, I think you can... That was the toughest time to play against, but it was just the level of the Premier League, as it, as it is today, obviously, yeah. the fantastic world-class players. Simon, uh, Simon, what do you think the main difference is stepping up to the Premier League? Um, what makes them players a step above? I think... Every player can be as fit as each other. Every player um, has a certain level of talent and obviously some players have got far more talent than others. And I I, I like to class myself as a hard-working player who could play in a few different positions. Um, Not not most, never going to win a game, but I wasn't going to lose too many games because of how I played. But ultimately the difference is, is how how your attitude and how your character is, how you respond to disappointments of being out of the team and then train and get back into the team, the resilience of when you've had a, a poor time against an opposition that you keep going again. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's more like the resilience and uh, rather than the talent that you probably had because everybody can get to a certain level. It's, it's dealing with difficult times and, and succeeding and sacrificing things. A lot of players have to sacrifice to play at the top level a lot of things that they see the mates doing when they're 18, 19 and, and right the way through 
to the till you finish playing because you, you you have to be constantly on your game now more more so than not with nutrition fitness levels being so high i'd say that proves that the game isn't just physical it's a lot more than that yeah you've got to be mentally strong as well that's a big part of it you've got can't get carried away with thinking you've made it as a footballer when you get to the Premier League you want to, your own drive and ambition to be as good as you can do and as play as many games um, at that top level because if you can do that then you've had one hell of a career Yeah, you obviously uh, played for a total of nine clubs in your career which which club did you enjoy playing for the most and you felt like you got your most you played your best football at? I think Leicester was as we mentioned there out of the five years that I had we had five years of, of something happening. Uh, yeah. Three playoff finals, four playoff finals, a relegation, then a League Cup final. Um, so that, that was my favourite time. We had a great group of players. We had some talented players at the time, people like Muzzy Izzet, Emil Heskey, uh, Neil Lennon, Steve Guppy. Um, then we had some real tough, tough cookies, Matt Elliott, Steve Walsh, you could all... We'd all look after each other on the pitch and, and off the pitch we were very close together. Um, it wasn't an easy decision when I left Leicester I went to Aston Villa because Leicester were then the equivalent of a top four team as it is now and we're in Europe mm. and we got the quarter final of the what's the Europa League now um, and was playing with like Gareth Southgate and Stan Collymore Dwight York and play. we had a real good team then and it was a big step for me to leave Leicester where I certainly enjoyed all my time but it was just the next step of where I wanted to go as a player um, and yeah, it's it. It wasn't the same as being at Leicester because I was playing week in and week out at Leicester, but it was still fascinating and fantastic to be at such a big club like Aston Villa was. Yeah, obviously you moved into management after your playing days. Did you know through your playing days all the way through that you were going to make that leap to management? Uh, and if if you did, who was the most influential manager that you took the most from? I didn't, I didn't know that I was going to be destined for a manager. I always thought, like a lot of players, when you get to your 30s, that you start doing your badges. Am mm. I going to be comfortable doing this in terms of being a, an assistant, first-team coach or, or a manager eventually? Um, so I was just going down that route. I was eventually still playing at Blackpool uh, in the first team as well as taking the reserves. So I remember one day we were... Tuesday night playing at Bournemouth and getting home at five in the morning and, and all of a sudden I'm taking, going to Bloomfield Road to pick up the the kit to put in my car to take us to Rochdale or Bury or something like that for a 12 o'clock, one o'clock kickoff. So I learned the hard way. Um, and what all I did was I, I just worked hard on my badges, waited for an opportunity. And then I was going to go to another job um, as a first team coach and I spoke to Colin Envy at the time and he said, uh, yeah, fine with us to leave. Went to Carl Oyston, the owner at, at Blackpool at the time. And he said, no, which I was surprised about. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, he said, uh, I said, why? He said, well, I'm sacking Colin Hendry and you're taking over as a caretaker. So I sort of fell into the progression of being a manager. I always thought that it would be first team coach, assistant, and then see where it took me. But then all of a sudden I was thrust into it. And, and it, was, it wasn't easy, but it was made easier because... I was in a dressing room one day playing and then doing the reserves with the other lads, but then all of a sudden I'm, I'm now the manager. And what I tried to do, in certainly right the way through my managing career, was to still be my own person, have my own beliefs, my own philosophies, my own ideas, my own character, but try to draw from the experiences of 
for good managers like Brian Little, Martin O'Neill, um, and uh, Howard Wilkinson, Billy Bremner in my early days, uh, take all the good points and learn from their experiences. And then there'll be other managers that I won't name that, I'll, <laughs> that I thought, well, I wouldn't want to do that if I was a manager myself and, and draw from that experience as well, that negative experience. So you try and couple them all together, but ultimately then your own stamp on it as well. What was it that attracted you to coaching? Um, did you sort of want to be a coach, but you just <clears throat> fell into the management? Yeah, I think, as I said, I think the progression was just to sit, go from the reserve team coach yeah. to then first team football and, and see where it took me. But what I, what I had to learn very quickly was that I have to deal with the ruthless side of, of being a manager, all of a sudden being in a first team dressing room with, with mates to dropping them on a Saturday, to then letting them go at the end of the contracts that, that season, to doing a lot more ruthless jobs around, which I wasn't quite sure whether I'd have that streak in me, but it was all about, eventually I felt comfortable with it, and then it was all going to be about, of, about do I sink or swim? And I, th I thought, well, I'm going to certainly try and swim and make a, make a living as a manager mm -hmm. as, as much as I can do. And in fact, I think the one big thing that helped me when I first started as manager, I took Tony Parks with me as assistant who'd been at Blackburn Rovers playing, coaching, assistant, caretaker for 30, 40 years and I think Tony will have been 60 at the time and he, he certainly helped me because as much as I'd played the game for 15, 20 years, it was different being a manager, you, how you deal with situations, sessions that you were putting on, situations that you'd never come across and that's why it was great experience to, uh, to have somebody like Tony but ultimately as well, somebody that Joe obviously knows really well, his granddad, Eric Harrison, was a big mentor for me as well, who would I'd ring um ring up, he'd, he'd come in to watch tech training, he'd come and see me, give me offering advice, and obviously uh, dwelling on uh, getting on their experiences certainly helped me as well. What was your initial philosophy when you first became a manager? Was it that because it's your teammates you went in, you just tried to be a friend, you tried to be someone that was likable? Or did you almost have to make a point of stopping your authority initially? Uh, a bit of both, really. I certainly wasn't going to go from one extreme to the other of being mates and then all of a sudden be untouchable yeah. or something like that. It was basically, look, they were always respecting me anyway because I had a good, decent mm -hmm. career, but ultimately I was doing the reserves as well with them and I was a senior statesman in the dressing room. So the lads were fine in that respect, but I then obviously had to make tough decisions very quickly and players had to respect that. Um, so it was getting that right balance that still being friends with the players and I'm still like that to this very day now not not even not from when I first started that I'm still friends with a lot of players when I'm managing them when I've left clubs but I didn't cross a line while I was still managing them at a certain team that they thought they could overstep that mark and we got too familiar with each other yeah, obviously at Blackpool, you, uh, your first taste of success as a manager came in 2007 uh, when you beat Yeovil Town in the League One playoff final. Which did you get more sort of achievement, sense of achievement out of? Was it winning as a player or winning as a manager? Uh, well, I'll take both. It's so different because... As a player, all you did was the lead up to the to the big games, to um, to the match day situation. You all you're doing really is thinking about the role that you've got to do within that team, and that time span, 
course you you're thinking about the colleagues that you're working alongside how you can look after them and what you're going to do but that's all you really had to deal with and whereas as a manager it's how you're going to build your team up for how you're going to play in the final how you're going to control all the other side of it in terms of behind the scenes of when you're going to do the, your preparation how you're going to um, how many dealing with the families how you're going to get their ticket situation sorted how you're going to deal with the um, accommodation and on all them things and ultimately then you've got the pressure that one you're going into a massive final and you've got the football club basically all all their um all their trust is in you that you're making the right decisions and getting across to the players and having 30 odd thousand at Wembley desperate for a club to do well is 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 inspiring but also it can be very intimidating as well but fortunately that first occasion worked extremely well for us yeah I think obviously after Blackpool you got your your dream move just tell us about receiving that call to become the Leeds United manager well Gary McAllister I think got sacked on the Sunday and I was still at Blackpool Uh, and at the time we was in the championship with Blackpool and Leeds were in League One but when I got that call to say would you come um, it was like wow this is this is going to be quite surreal, supporting and playing a few games for him and then going back. <clears throat> it wasn't an ideal situation because it was round about just before Christmas. Um, Blackpool wouldn't accept my resignation at the time, which, anyway, long story short, it got resolved in the end. Um, went across and before you know it, Boxing Day was my first game there and it was against Leicester who were top of the division. So to walk out down the tunnel of the of in the footsteps of... Don Revy, Howard Wilkinson, Billy Bremner, and so many famous managers, was was a massive sort of um, proud moment for myself and my family. And uh, we drew the first game, which was great. And then really it was all down to getting started to make sure that I did whatever I could to try and get the team promoted and now back into the championship. Yeah, obviously I think, obviously being from Halifax and around the Yorkshire area, you get to know a lot of Leeds fans uh, and. During that time, they did like to talk about the uh, the famous win at Old Trafford, uh, where you led them to a one nil win against Sir Alex Ferguson's Man United. Uh, how did that feel? Beating such a great manager with obviously the occasion, the rivalry, the underdog story. How did that feel coming from a Leeds fan's perspective? I think you've been a bit harsh. Man United weren't really the underdogs. <laughs> it was uh, look as you can imagine it was a fantastic feeling for everybody that was connected with the club um, to go then Man United were the Premier League champions at the time probably top of the division and up, obviously you're up against one of the greatest managers that um, world football has seen so it was but we, we did have a genuine belief that we could go there and win the game. We were on a good run of form. We didn't think we'd lost one game all season going into that January game. So we, we knew what we had a winning mentality. We knew that we had players in the team that could go and hurt, hurt Manchester United if we got opportunities. Beckford and Becchio were, were good strikers. We knew we had to be on our game and 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 make sure that we, we were tough to beat defensively. And... To be fair, when you look back on the team, Man United was strong because Sir Alex didn't want to lose to us, even though we were League One and they were Premier League. He didn't want to lose to one of the biggest rivals that he's, he had in the game. So when you look at the team, they had Berbatov, they had Rooney played, Johnny Evans, Wes Brown, um, Gary Neville, 
um, Darren Gibson and there's a, their novel a sudden like Owen comes on Valencia comes on and it was a great moment for us it was we probably scored too early I think 11 12 minutes in and thinking mm. even when it went to the um, uh, injury time I'm expecting to be Fergie time of 10 15 yeah. 20 minutes <laughs> 20 minutes or something like that and that they'd go and score an equaliser or even get a winner but we we saw it out and it was a great proud moment of 9,000 lead fans in the corner that you'd actually turned over oh, yeah. uh, Manchester United. What, what, does, the, what does a win what, like that do? So, sorry, what does a win like that do to uh, your dressing room and the sort of the feeling around the club? Does it just give you that extra boost for the next so many games or does that high intensity game sort of, you know, drain a bit out of the next game? It probably hindered us to be fair because I'm pretty sure, I can't remember for for definite, but I think the next game was against Wickham at Ellen Road and I think we drew 1-1 where really we, we should we'd have won that game quite comfortably but yeah. as, as a lot of people will know and you mentioned it there you go from the real highs and all the exuberation of all the role of all the emotions of winning such a big game it's then quite difficult to to get back up for the next game when it's not the same sort of level of intensity or or edge to it and um and it was quite difficult the next few games we, we then played Tottenham in White Hart Lane and drew with them and, and took them to a replay so we're going through different emotions week in and week out and no disrespect to the likes of Exeter and Wickham and people like that they were when they were playing Leeds United it was their cup final every week and we yeah. had to deal with that that was one of the big things in League One we had to deal with um, but then we were still having to come back off the highs of, of beating Man United and, and playing well against Tottenham and taking them to a replay. Yeah, I think you, you touched <clears> on <throat> it then, saying that every club came to Elland Road with a bit extra wanting to win win that game. How did you sort of deal with that? Because obviously, like you said, everybody wants to go to Elland Road and beat Leeds. It's, it's sort of every team gets a bit out of it, like a bit of a confidence boost and they just enjoy it more. Yeah, and but it can be intimidating as well. I, th- I don't. It wasn't yeah. really going to Ellen Road too much for the opposition. Yes, of course they lifted the game without a shadow of doubt. Yeah. But we, we had a good team and the crowd were behind us and sometimes the crowd would just blow the opposition away because they couldn't handle yeah. maybe the, the atmosphere that was going off around Ellen Road. It was more really that when you went to to away grounds that I'd go and watch a game say on the, the Tuesday before we were playing somebody and <clears throat> there's one man and a dog there. Then all of a sudden you go in there and there's no atmosphere, there's no singing yeah. or anything like that. Then all of a sudden we we went into town to that same ground and it was packed of home supporters that had never been there for yeah. a long time. And, and obviously the full allocation that we would take to um, underway games just made it a full house. And, and that, they were the most difficult games, as I mentioned, going to Exeter away and, and places like that was never easy games for you. <clears throat> Was it a confidence boost for the team and obviously yourself, knowing that wherever you were going to be, Leeds were going to travel in their numbers? Again, it can work both ways. There's a, there's a huge amount of pressure and expectancy level at Leeds. There was certainly a couple of games, probably the season prior to us getting promoted, we'd gone to Hereford and we'd lost 2-0 two, two or 2-1 or something like that. And the crowd had turned on quite a few of the players singing not fit to wear the shirt. So... It can certainly work for you, but it can be very intense and against you if you not if you if you can't if if you sometimes don't get out of that rut very quickly or or that run of disappointing results very quickly because of the expectancy levels. 
Yeah, so obviously you moved from Blackpool, who, no disrespect to Blackpool, aren't at the same stature and got the same history as Leeds. How was the pressures different between the two the two clubs? There's always pressure on managers anyway, because and the pressure I put under mm. myself to be successful and taking Blackpool to the championship was all about probably just surviving and, and seeing where the club could then build on um, for future years. Leeds going to League One, the, the remit was to make sure that you get promoted <clears throat> from League One, but ultimately then you go into the championship and it is, can we get promoted again? Yeah, it wasn't the same. same it wasn't the same <clears throat> at Blackpool doing that. Um, but I knew that because I'd, I was... Uh, I'd, knew so much about the football club and what it meant to everybody yeah. so it wasn't something I was going into blind um, and, and you had to deal with it and I've seen many many players gone to even when I was there as a young player that couldn't handle playing and handle the pressure of playing at Ellen Road and gone on to have really good careers elsewhere but couldn't play at Ellen Road because of that expectancy level Yeah, I think if you go to the end of the season where you obviously went to Old Trafford <clears throat> and came out successful uh, I just want to talk about the uh, the Bristol Rovers game at the end of that season. Uh, you needed to win to go up, um, and you went down to ten men quite early on. How did you sort of get the players back on back on track? Because obviously, then you conceded the first goal. How did you get their man- mentality back on track to score them two goals? Well, as you said, we it had gone down to last game of the season, which wasn't ideal, but we knew that we won front of 38,000 against Bristol Rovers who had mm. nothing to play for, we were promoted. So we'd have probably taken that. We'd like to have done it a few weeks previously. But the roller coaster ride of being a Leeds fan, as a lot of them will still testify now, is don't do it the easy way. Max Gradle gets mm. sent off 10 minutes before half-time. Um, you go into the dressing room and it's sort of carnage to a certain degree that lads are sort of sh- shouting amongst themselves, having to go at Max a little bit. He's trying to defend himself. But then he says, as a manager, you've got to calm the situation down and you've got to make sure that you you relay your message across to the players of, of what we still needed to do. Um, in my mind, I still had a plan B because knowing that if we were still level going into the last stages of the game, with 10 men, I would have to do something different to maybe try and win the game. Um, but then, as you said, then we after, five, after thinking of all that and settling everybody down, five minutes into the second half, we're, um, we're 1-0 down. And it's like, mm. wow, we've now I've got to go to the plan B very quickly. So made a substitution, brought Johnny Housen on, who within five minutes equalised and it was just like it was the atmosphere was unbelievable. It was it was as if we were playing yeah. with fifteen players and they were playing with about eight. They couldn't get out their own half. <laughs> players that had done all quite okay for them were then doing stupid things to the goalkeeper who'd played yeah. well caught a ball and threw it out very quickly when really he should have just taken his time and killed the game a little bit. Threw it straight to Bradley Johnson who misses a shot and it falls to Jermaine and we score. And all of a sudden from being one down with two one up and we never really looked back. You ultimately still waiting for that final whistle go to make sure that you've sealed promotion. And when it did, obviously, lots of celebrations happened. Do you feel that the... The pressure from the Leeds fans comes can sometimes work against you more than what it goes for you. Yeah, look, I think um, look, you'd rather have the numbers without a shadow of doubt because yeah. the, the the atmosphere when it is uh, rocking, it's 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 as if like 
you have got extra men and, and there was many a games during that season and seasons after and seasons before that the crowd would suck that ball into the, the back of the net because of their their sheer presence and that. Um, of course, it's not easy for players and mentioned it before that they have to deal with the situation and that's that's where the tough and the good players really shine that they can deal mm, with handling yeah. pressure, not just the talent, it's all about the, the mental side of the game. So, look, I'd rather have... 25,000 behind you, even more 35,000 than a few thousand where, the, where it's less pressurised. So just as that final whistle was blown and you realised that you'd, you'd taken your boyhood club up, up, how did you, what was the feeling like at that point as, as all the fans rushed onto the pitch? One, to try and get off the pitch as safely <laughs> as, as quick as possible. Um, but, it, but it was... I think it wasn't. An, it was one of relief, really, um, because the roller coaster ride on the particular day w- was like, oh, eventually we've done this, we've done yeah. it the hard way. But people asked me what was my favourite day. Was it the Old Trafford game or was it the promotion Bristol Rovers game? And I'd have to say it's the Bristol Rovers game because it was the icing on the cake beating Man United, obviously. But it was our bread and butter was to get the club back into the championship over the course of a full season and and to do that and to do it how we did we made it very difficult for ourselves the emotion overriding emotion was probably more about the relief rather than anything else because we'd actually done it and (laughs) for a few days you settle down you go away for a a quick break and then all of a sudden it's like um right start planning for the championship now (laughs) (laughs) obviously um you went up automatically that season. You'll know as much as anyone else with a Leeds, with, as a Leeds fan. Um, did you feel a bit more pressure with that win? Because if you had lost, you would have fallen into the playoffs and everyone knows that Leeds and playoffs don't go hand in hand pretty well. And you can see that in previous years as well. So it was a sort of an element where you thought, we have to win this because it could go very wrong if playoffs are the next stage. Yeah, look, you, you know that anything could happen in the playoffs. They also knew we had the Player of the Year awards that night and that was going to be a difficult night as well <laughs> if we'd, uh, if we'd uh, gone wrong. Um, so, yeah, we knew what we had to do. And I think I said earlier, if we'd been offered winning your last home game of the season in front of a full house to get promoted, you'd have taken that. So uh, yeah. it was job done eventually. Yeah, your next move was to uh, Huddersfield, which isn't too far from Leeds. Um, no disrespect to Huddersfield, but I think over time they've been in the shadow of Leeds. I think I know a lot of Huddersfield fans and a lot of Leeds fans. is quite quite a lot of banter and stick thrown between them. Uh, what was the differences that you found between them two two teams and clubs as a as a unit? Um, a big difference again. Leeds have left Leeds in the Championship. Four, six points, five points off the playoffs, maybe three points. I think to be fair, which is a bit of a surprise sacking. And I was only out of work ten days, and and I was surprised that Dean Hall rang me because Huddersfield have been doing really well under Lee Clark, and we're in the top six of League One. But mm. he made that decision to get rid of him, and he, he took me on board because of my experience of obviously getting clubs out of it. Um, probably just there's there's big there's expectancy levels at any football club you go to, but. It's obviously more emphasised because of the the number of supporters. I think that's all you can say is that, no disrespect to Huddersfield, they don't have the same level of support that that yeah. Leeds United do. 
having this country but ultimately worldwide as well. I would be the manager and go off on holiday different parts of Europe, the world, and I'm bumping into Leeds fans left, right and centre and not that's not being disrespectful to Huddersfield and some of the other clubs. Yeah. Leeds are one of the biggest clubs in in English football, not just in in the championship and that's just comes with the territory. So um but you go there to Huddersfield to make sure that you try and do a job that equally as important to Huddersfield staff, um, supporters, that it was at Leeds and Blackpool to get them promoted as well. And um, and obviously he was fortunate to do that again. Yeah, you, you, yet again, you got another club out of League One. At this point, did you think that this is it's quite easy, this getting, getting, getting clubs out of League One. I'm quite good at this. <laughs> quite good at this promotion malarkey. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't say I was thought like that. I, I was very pleased that it. I'm very pleased that it panned out. And when you look at the Huddersfield game, there's a bit of a slice of luck that Alex Smithies yeah. took the twenty first penalty, and Steve Simmonson, the goalkeeper for Sheffield United, put his into the Huddersfield Town fans, and Huddersfield are promoted after twenty two penalties, and that was an unbelievable day that I've well I've never experienced before and or seen before. So. You do need a little bit of luck to go your way down the line, um, but very, very pleased that it did. Yeah, obviously, as a, as a player, I can imagine penalty shootouts aren't the most pleasant experiences. What What's it like as a manager knowing that it is a complete lottery from now on? Are you sort of like a fan at this point, knowing you can't do anything, you've just got to watch? Well, I, I, I sat in the dugout with Dean Oil, the owner, and because, like you said, you can't affect it. All you did was you, you did the order of who was going to go, give it to the ref, and then you sit back and wait and see. And you might not know that we missed our first three penalties. Tommy Johnson, mm. uh, not Tommy Johnson, Tommy Miller, uh, Damien Johnson and Alan Lee were the three most experienced players at Huddersfield and they missed the first three penalties. And it's like, to to, score, to win on the 22nd penalty, but to have missed your first three, yeah. sh- shows you that luck was on our day that particular day. Um because the day before we'd practice penalties and lads were putting them in top corner mm-hmm. and the lads that w- weren't going to take them were putting them over the bar, putting them wide. <laughs> and all, then, then the rules were reversed that the lads, uh, the experienced players who were used to taking penalties had missed them. Then all the other lads who were not so keen on taking them were putting them in top corner and sending <laughs> the keeper the wrong way. So um, it was a, a remarkable sequence of, um, of uh, penalties. What was your, what was your feeling and what did you feel inside when you saw Alex Smithies walk up for a penalty? Were you confident or was it just did you feel like sort of you know it doesn't matter if he scores or miss because he's a keeper and but ultimately yeah he had to score. Yeah, it was it was one of them that sort of you're anxious because goalkeepers are not really put in that position too often. But on the other side of it as well, there, a goalkeeper takes more uh, still still passes than anybody yeah. else. They strike the ball from a dead ball situation more than anybody else from goal kicks more than, a lot of the time. So to then hit it from 12 yards wasn't too much of an issue. It's just going to be, can he hit the target and give the, the opposition goalkeeper very limited opportunity to, to save it? As you saw, Simonson did what you didn't want Alex to do and that was hit it too well and too high and sail over the bar. Alex slotted yeah. his in and uh, and um, that's why we won the game. Yeah, obviously you moved on to Preston after this and I can remember coming to see you with my granddad, obviously Eric Harrison, uh, 
plenty of times in your office. You touched on it before, but how much of an influence did he did he have on your uh, management and coaching career? Well, it, a mass, a big, big part, massive part that he he was he used to come into Blackpool when I was still playing, um, for, and put some sessions on for Steve McMahon, um, and I was coming to that stage that was doing my badges, and I would sort of give give him a bit of a grilling in terms of asking him about situation sessions, yeah. why we do this, why we do that. Um, and, and just grill him because obviously the experience that he had and where he'd worked at the years in the game that he had he was he was great to to pick the brains off and and then ultimately when you get the job it, it, as you know he, he used to come in and still take sessions for me and I'd pick up the phone to him and and he obviously later on he was doing all his um, he was doing his scouting and you'd be coming to Ellen Road into the offices and yeah. it was it was a massive help because as I said earlier that 20 games playing doesn't set you really up and your coaching badges and your courses set you up to a certain degree but they don't set you up for dealing with many many other different circumstances that um, um, that are put in your way sometimes and your dad and your granddad certainly helped me along the way without without a shadow of doubt yeah and obviously at Preston yet again you secured another uh, promotion this time at the new Wembley uh, beating Swindon Town 4-0 I was actually at this game and um, that man again, Jermaine Beckford, scored a hat-trick. Uh, were you surprised how much he dominated in, in such a big game against Swindon? Well, we didn't dominate the game in terms of possession. I knew exactly how Swindon was going to play. We, we, we were in the same situation when we were at Leeds. We had to win the last game of the season at Colchester for automatic promotion and we blew it. Yeah. They beat us 1-0 down there and... Um, and we had to recover very quickly, beat Chesterfield 1-0 and 3-0, I think it was. But I knew Swindon dominated the ball in the in the league that year. They played three at the back, played the ball into... Took a lot of risks, played high-risk high, high risk football, trying to play out from the back. So we knew that the game plan leading up to it and the coaching that we did was let them have it in certain areas, but then when it goes into key areas of the middle of the pitch, then we go and press really quickly and we'll... Because the pitch will be open with the bodies that they've tried to open the pitch up with, they will get chance to dominate. So, I think when you look back on stats, and stats certainly can help you, but they can be misleading. They had sixty-five percent possession and lost the game four 0 The most important yeah. stat was that well, we won four 0 Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's what you it's what you do with the ball that matters, and and that's even to this day now. Manchester City are fantastic at keeping possession of the ball but what they do something with it as well no point just having yeah. it around the back and not going anywhere we knew Swindon would play like that but all of a sudden they would take a risk and that's when we needed to pounce on them and uh, and then be ruthless when we got the opportunities Yeah I think every game that we've mentioned so far um, that man Jermaine Beckford has, has scored Either a goal in the game or the vital winner. How how good was he, and what what was the reason why you took him with you at Leeds and then took him to Preston with you? Well, he's already at Leeds with me um, uh, through. I think Dennis Wise might have signed him to be fair. Um, and we just we had a good relationship. I knew his strengths, I knew his weaknesses, uh, I knew what got the best out of him, and that's that's how you have to deal with your players. That's part of. Your, your, your skill as a manager that 
you can put on sessions, you can do things tactically, but it's the man management of your players getting the best out of them. And and I just thought, and well, I knew how we how we worked, and I took him to Huddersfield as well. And when we got promoted, we went into the top six very quickly at Huddersfield because he was scoring goals for us. And then I rang him at pre- I rang Neil Lennon, who was a Bolton manager at the time where um, Jermaine was, about another player. And Lenny said, "Look, you can't have him, but do you want Beckford because he's not he's not for me." <laughs> so it was a bit of a chance call that came about, and I jumped at the opportunity. And uh, <clears throat> obviously, a few months later, he's he's banged a trick um, in the <laughs> final and uh, and done the business. Yeah, and then obviously you left Preston in two thousand and seventeen to manage Sunderland. If you had to go back to your time at Sunderland, what would you have done differently? I don't think I could have done much more, to be fair. I don't have yeah. any regrets. It was a real tough decision because I'd been at um, Preston nearly five years and the lure of going to a team that had been relegated from, from the Premier League was, was too big for me. That I'd, the, the opportunity to maybe take a team back into the Premier League and then potentially managing the Premier League was, was what I wanted to do and, and that's why it was such a tough decision because I love the team that I had even now you see that a lot of the lads that are playing at Preston are in the top six of the championship were players that I'd signed and worked with and taken them from free transfers, minimum salaries and transfer fees. And I love working with them, but the lure of going there was too good to to turn down. But then you realise it's not the ideal situation because of <clears throat> um, a relegation, negativity, maybe financially, it's going to be very difficult selling players. But he still felt that there was a group of players there that were talented enough to be at least in around the playoffs. But what you don't realise until you get in there that there's more underlying problems of the football club in, in general. The owner didn't want to put any more money in. And players didn't want to be there. Players were not hungry enough. They, they'd earned a fortune in the Premier League and they weren't yeah. bothered about running through a brick wall. If the one thing I would have done, if I could have done, and certainly couldn't have done, was if I could have taken the group that he had at Preston with me to Sunderland, that was yeah. one thing that I would have done because them lads were would run through a brick wall for me. But yeah. it wasn't just at Sunderland that it was about me because Chris Coleman had more games than I did there and couldn't get them even to stay yeah. up. So it was more of a big underlying problem than uh, than anybody could really envisage. You touched on it there. Is it? about obviously players on high wages is it hard sometimes to get a player to do a job when he's earning X amount which is quite a high amount because it's hard to keep their head in the game of football because they are obviously earning so much money well you wouldn't think so because ultimately the player should want to play for nothing a player would yeah. all he wanted to do as a teenager a kid growing up was wanted to play football so even now the real top top players you said to them, go and play on a Saturday for nothing. They would do. Money is yeah. obviously it's a necessity and, and it's, it's making players very very wealthy players at this moment in time. And that's why the strong, real good characters and the real good players in the game can knuckle down and, and keep doing the things because of their own professional pride rather than sort of the salary that they're being paid. And, and that wasn't a reflection on all the players at Sunderland because there was some good... Genuine lads. John O'Shea was there, um, as you'll know from Manchester United, who was a fantastic pro. Aidan McGeady was a player that Preston mm. took up there. So there was some real good lads. They were just sort of 
a group that didn't really sort of go that the way into your thinking of, or didn't want to do anything uh, beyond them um, that they really had to do as such. Plus, there was a lot of negativity around the place, and players couldn't handle that as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you recently returned to Blackpool for a spell. Uh, how did it feel to go back after so many years, and how how had the club changed? It hadn't changed too much. <laughs> the, training, <laughs> the training ground was still there um, and not in a great state, unfortunately. But it wasn't really about... I'd had a year out doing all, a lot of media stuff in the Sky Talk Sport and it was the yeah. first year that I'd had out in 32 years, maybe longer, that I thought, well, I'm going to take a bit of a, a time to reflect and see what else, do something else. Because, as you could tell... Takes a lot out of you <laughs> being a manager <laughs> over the years. So I just wanted to do something a little bit different. And and it, when I spoke to them, it was not sort of what enticed me back of me being connected with the club. It played a part, but it was more yeah. what the the ambition of of what the owner was wanting to do, um, because I knew there'd be a certain element of going back that wasn't going to be for everybody that had walked out in the first place to go to Leeds and managed Preston for such a long time. It was the biggest rivals. But I just felt that I could overcome that, get good results and everybody would be fine. And and what the owner was saying to me at that time was, we want to rebuild the club, we want to take small steps, we're not in a rush to get promoted, this, that and the other. And we had a real good start. We got Christmas time just before we go two points off top. Um, and everybody then sort of gets slightly carried away that expectancy levels increase that we're going to get promoted when really we were overachieving I thought um, and then you, yeah. we have a good window of different players and then unfortunately I get two games to work with players and you leave Yeah, obviously at the moment unfortunately you're not, you're not in, in work uh, but if you were coaching right now during this very strange times. How would you be working to make sure that your team stays fit and keeps the head screwed on and don't kind of like, you know, just put on too much weight or get too unfit during this time? Yeah, obviously I speak to quite a few coaches and managers now to pick their brains of, of what they are doing with the players and and a lot of them are, are obviously sending out programmes with the... the um, data um, that you can follow the players of the workload that they're doing so you can do that you can have meetings one-on-ones through the through the tools that we're using today and, and ref, do reflection meetings of what they've done so far how they're maybe going to do things better in the future strengths weaknesses to work on maybe players and a physical side of it as well can work on things that they don't have time to work on other attributes that they need to improve so I think there's many different factors but you are obviously very limited in, in what you can do because of 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 the uh, the rules and regulations that are surrounding things at this morning time and uh, it'll be interesting to see how quickly uh, football does re, re, uh, regroup again and then how everybody comes back. Are the players as fit as they were when they finished? Are the players got their edge and the sharpness to them? Are they really motivated? It's going to be quite interesting how these things pan out when, when we eventually get back to football, if we do. Yeah, obviously your son Joe uh, is currently at Blackburn Rovers. Growing up, did you sort of have a hands-on approach with his coaching or did you sort of want to take sort of a step back and have a father role and just let his coaches coach him? 
Um, I think I think I, I have a little bit of input, but I I did try and stay away from it. Like he's been at Blackburn yeah. since he was six or seven, I think it is. So ultimately, you're watching him on a Sunday or his training sessions, and I tried to do that as often as possible. Um, and sometimes you would have to bite your tongue because you're hearing certain <laughs> things are being said, and you're thinking, well, I don't actually agree with that. But he has to learn. He had to learn and develop and. I wasn't connected with that club, so it wasn't my input to him. But what ultimately what you would do is have a conversation when he was eight, nine, about maybe yeah. how the game had gone. And obviously, 18, he becomes a different type of player. Um, to then be a very proud father, um, watching him make his debut and then go on loan to Grimsby. Um, so even now, we have conversations all the time when I've watched him and he, 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 he does... Uh, value my opinion and stuff but he's obviously got to learn from his own coaches he's also got to learn him, himself of dealing with situations of when he's had a good day when he's had a bad day it's, it's gone his way it hasn't gone his way he's been unfortunately been out for nearly five six months through an injury of mm. tearing his hamstring really badly that needed an operation so he's had to deal with the emotional side of dealing with a long-term injury doing all his prehab doing his recovery work um, and now he's back to fitness in terms of being able to do his running and, and that sort of stuff. So it's um, yeah, I'd like to think that he's been he's appreciated the help of his dad and his and the advice that I've given him. But ultimately as well, I've I'm really proud of him that he's done things off his own back as well and and developed as a person as a and as a footballer as well. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but was it pre-season that you came up actually came up against him? In a, in a game, how how did how did that feel? Yeah, it was it, it was Blackpool pre-season this year. Um, it was our last pre-season game before the season started, and Tony Mowbray brought Blackburn over, and um, he was on the bench. And then I think he probably got fifteen twenty minutes at the end. And I'm thinking it it was it was weird <laughs> because I'm thinking um, I want you to do well here, Joe. But the last thing I need yeah. you to do is is set up a couple of goals yeah. and we and we get done three or four or something like that. I think so. It was great um, to to be involved like that. I think what I would find really difficult would be if I was managing on a on a proper game. Uh, sorry, yeah. managing a team against him because ultimately when you're managing a team. You go through the strengths and weaknesses of the opposition, and I would have to be very yeah. careful what I'd say because <laughs> I, would, I don't want to big him up too much, and I don't want to put him down yeah. too much. So that maybe that situation might arise one day, maybe it won't. Who knows? Did you find yourself watching him a lot in that game, or was it? Were you trying to stay focused on on your team? Um, one part, one eye was watching it, but one eye was watching the game. <laughs> <Go on. laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think you're concentrating on the game. It was, it was obviously your eyes are focused when he's got the ball and it's going down his side. Yeah. So you, you can, you, you are seeing how he's doing, and and he was, he, he, I thought he played quite well that day, which um, which was pleasing. He didn't make it. I wouldn't want him to make a mistake, but obviously it'd be <laughs> nice if we'd scored and somebody else had made yeah. a mistake. <laughs> Um, just to, just to round round it off, uh, can can you are you looking to get back into management or are you trying to take a bit of a well obviously everyone's got to take a, a break now but a bit of a break from football. Um, I'd, I'd like to think I'll go back to doing some form of managing. It's um, it's frustrating at times when you you leave a football club when you maybe didn't think that you would be given the, the right circumstances or the same circumstances, but. 
it's all I've done for like 30, 34, 35 years now. So, yeah, I've got an ambition to, to go back to managing. I've done 700 games nearly. I want to try and get as many as possible. I think what you do maybe is you just sit back and wait and see the situation, how it develops. But what, what I've done is over the last few months, even before lockdown, I went to India to, to see Martin Byrne, who runs the Indian Super League, just for a break. I went to Mumbai, but watched a couple of yeah. games out there. Is it something that interests me? I don't know. Maybe managing abroad in a different continent, different style of football, different way of life is something that maybe might I might take on board. Eventually, somewhere down the line, who knows? Some of my my younger players that have have managed might become head coaches, as managers, and they might want an experienced assistant alongside them. Which it's something that I certainly won't dismiss as well because it's uh, it's it's. It can take. It's very intense being a manager, and to doing it fifteen years is uh, is takes up a lot of your time. But I still got the drive and the ambition to be back in football in some capacity, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, I think just to finish off, we've got some uh, some questions that have been sent in from our listeners. Um, right. We've got one from Jack, who's a Huddersfield fan. Um, what was it like switching uh, from Leeds to Huddersfield, considering the rivalry? It didn't bother me, to be fair. It's going to... Supporters have some sort of... Can have any problems with it. But it's... Whoever I'm employed by, I go out to win every game. Every time... Every time I played against Leeds, I was desperate to beat them, whether it's for Huddersfield, whether it's for Preston, Blackpool, whoever. It was all about doing my professional job and doing the best of my yeah. capabilities and, and leaving a club in a better situation than when I walked in and ultimately I did that for, for Huddersfield and, and a few other clubs as well Yeah, we've also got one from Sam who's a Leeds fan uh, who was the best player in the in the Leeds teams that you managed that, in your opinion oh, Jermaine obviously a natural goal scorer yeah I love Johnny Housen was a model professional he was could yeah. play as a number 10 holding midfield player just got on with everything and then you got people like who were real talented player Max Gradle was entered, loved watching Max mm. play Snodgrass was a great manoeuvre of the ball as he showed in the Premier League this year now for West yeah. Ham and, and before that so I, I like working with them lads I also like working with like Kisnobo and Richard Naylor who are real tough centre backs who really yeah. sort of were difficult to play about, and that's what you want: different types of characters within um, within the uh, within the dressing room and the team. So I wouldn't I wouldn't like to signal one out, but if I did, yeah, you'd, I'd probably have to say Jermaine because of the important goals that he got for us during that period of time. Yeah, and then the final one we've got from Tony, who's a Leeds fan as well. Uh, what are your opinions on the current Leeds squad, uh, obviously under Mar- Marcelo Bielsa, and if they were to go up, no one obviously knows. Uh, what's happening at the moment? What would what do you think they'd need to do in order to compete in the Premier League? I think what they've done for since Bielsa's gone in, he's transformed the team and a, and a club that was not really going anywhere, really not really got too mm. close to the playoffs, and then all of a sudden, with a similar group when he first came in, he, he changed them into absolute and phenomenal team in terms of the intensity and how they played from the back, the quickness of the passing. Um, obviously, the pressure tour last year, and we talked about missing out in the in the automatic promotion and and um, and then the playoffs. They've got they've got a talented group of players, um, and 
he takes a lot of credit for that. If they get promoted like everybody hopes, well, not say everybody, should I say, let me rephrase <laughs> that, a lot of people um, would like to happen, then, like any team get promoted, they're going to have to get some new players, without a shadow of doubt. But yeah. it, be, it will be interesting because we saw them play against Arsenal in the Cup early in the year and they played Arsenal off the, pa- off the park. Yeah. And that was at uh, the Emirates. Um, yes, it was a one-off game. Can they do that over the course of the season if they get into the Premier League? Who knows? But I think new recruits would certainly be um, um, needed. But also, would Bielsa change his philosophy and try and take the game to all the big teams and like he does at this moment in time? I would yeah. think that. I would think he probably would because I don't think he's got too. Is uh, is too too many other ways of playing. Yeah, I think just to finish off. Right now, I think we're just going to ask you to pick two five-a-side teams. The first one being players that you played with, and the second one being players that you managed. God. So let's start with me... let's start with let's start with <laughs> no the present. players that you've played with. God, you haven't given me much time to get this one started. <laughs> uh, right, players I played with. Let me think of the one. Steve Walsh for Leicester because he was a true, proper centre half. To be fair, he yeah. run through a brick wall for you. Good times with him. Um, uh, probably because he was a talented goalkeeper, a bit eccentric. Probably Bosnich. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forget certain people without a shadow of doubt. Gordon Strachan <laughs> was a massive influence on my career at Leeds, um, both on the pitch and off the pitch. So Gordon would would and would be up there as well. So Walsh, Bosnich, uh, Strachan. Oh God! Um, Muzzy Izzet would be a good, but then again, like got batty in speed, two fantastic McAllister yeah. midfield players as well. That's a real tough question to like <laughs> give me. You know what I mean? Um, I'll do. I'll. I'll just go with the Leeds five then. I'll go with McAllister, Speed, Batty, and uh, Strachan as a midfield four with. We won't have a goalkeeper. We'll just go with um, Emmy Lesky up front. <laughs> oh, perfect. Well, what about what about t- players that you've managed? Again, this is a tough one there as well. Jermaine would probably be would have to be in there. Um, yeah. Uh, God. <laughs> uh, managed, managed. Let me think. Players. Wes Houlihan would be in there. For Adam at Blackpool, yeah. fantastic player was was Wes. Um, Johnny Alson would be in there because he's Mister Steady Eddie and and playing many different positions. Um, then you got people like Snodgrass and Gradle, fantastic players, and then even now the lads at Blackpool, uh, so uh, Preston, you know, like Pearson's a, a fantastic player from who was yeah. from Manchester United. Um, Gallagher, experience around it. So probably Galley would go in there as well because he did a lot for yeah. me at Preston. Um, I mean, is that we've got one, two? That sounds like about six. <laughs> right, well, that'll do that. I'll let you pick the bones out of that. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I think that rounds it off nicely. Just want to say a massive thank you, Simon, for taking the time to talk to Thanks us. Thanks very much. No worries. Stay safe, everybody. Look after yourselves. Perfect. Thank you very much.